morning. Nice to see everyone. It was mentioned today, earlier, 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read that verse again. In verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead, has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does the resurrection mean? It was interesting that, uh, just looking again at historically how we prove things, right? They say something like uh, Alexander the Great, a famous, well-known historical figure. They didn't write about his life till like a hundred years after he died. We have evidence written of Jesus Christ seven years after he died. The book of 1 Corinthians. You have four gospel accounts somewhere written 30 to 60 years after he died. You have numerous other texts talking about a resurrection. And yet it's still debated whether he rose again. But that would be the validity of the resurrection. I'm not going to talk about the validity of the resurrection. I think it speaks for itself. Instead, I want to talk about the value of the resurrection, the valor of the resurrection, and finally, the vener- the venerated Messiah due to the resurrection. Don't worry, I didn't know the word either, but it's a V. Let's look to the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, again, we thank you so much for rising from the dead. Oh, Lord, thank you so much that uh, you have come that we might have life and have abundantly, that you didn't leave anything to guess about, that the work is done. You didn't leave one uh, loophole in the plan. Uh, everything is finished. And uh, we thank you. We thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. That those who put their faith and trust in you confess with your mouth that you are who you say you are. Believe that you died and rose again. will be with you forever. There's nothing in the universe that can stop that from happening. Thank you for the completeness of the work. Lord, again, we pray that your spirit would control me during this time. You might move in mighty and powerful ways, that we might be edified and built up, that this would be a day that we make changes in our own lives and only for you, that we wouldn't try to look better to other people, but just make changes just between us and you. Be glorified above all. You so richly deserve it. Thank you again for not staying dead. In your name, amen. As I was speaking to my father, he said, well, what, what passage are you preaching on? I said, I don't know. No, I don't, what are you talking about? I said, I'm skipping around, Dad. It took about five minutes on the phone until he realized I was real. I said, I don't know what to tell you, Dad. I don't have a core text. I'm just going to go here and there. My, you know, There's a lot of verses that talk about the resurrection. Don't worry. I'll use the Bible. The value of the resurrection. The value of it. The value of who Christ was and is. What makes him so special? In Acts chapter 26 and verse 23, there's three things that I think that give value to who Christ is through the resurrection. I mean, there's a lot more, but... The outline is three. 
Acts 26.23 says this. That the Christ would suffer, that He would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. That He would be the first. If I say something like Neil Armstrong, you automatically know who I'm talking about because he was the first. You might not know the second person who walked on the moon. Maybe you do now. I highly doubt any of you know the third. There's something about being the first. It gives value. In fact, marketing and branding always want to get the person who does something first right away. That's why they'll sign them big contracts. It says clearly, he's the first. He's the first to rise from the dead. And that gives them a lot of value. There's others who actually rose from the dead, but not on their own power. You have stories in the Gospels of where Jesus Christ raised people from the dead. You have stories in the Old Testament where people came back to life. But no one ever did it of themselves. He was the first. He was the first. And because of that, he has a lot of value. Especially when it comes to being the one who gets to talk about life and death and how it works. He is the first. What was it about his life that was so special? You know, Christians, we forget sometimes when we talk about the blood, that that might sound weird. Talking about someone's blood (laughs) and how we love it, (laughs) how it washes away our sins, how we want to be covered in Christ's blood, that's weird sometimes. To the person who doesn't understand that language, sometimes they might be like, what in the world are you guys talking about? But remember in Leviticus where it says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. If we simply translate it as his blood shed for us, simply his life being poured out for us. Whenever we think of the blood, we can think about him and who he is. His lifestyle. I want to talk about all the things the Bible says the blood did. In Leviticus, it says the blood made atonement. And when Jesus Christ shared his life, sacrificially gave up his life on the cross, God was satisfied with it as something that could take away all the sins of the world. In Colossians 1.20, it says he made peace through the blood of his cross. His life is actually the thing that allows us to have peace with God. In Revelation 5, 9, it says, We have been redeemed to God by His blood. In Romans 5, 9, it says, We are justified by His blood. In Hebrews 13, 12, it says, We have been sanctified by His blood. In Ephesians 2.13, it says we can be made near to God through His blood. What value is in that blood? How valuable is the life of Jesus Christ to God the Father? I love the idea of sitting there and thinking of the last one in Acts 20.28. It says to the church of God which He purchased with his own blood. Purchased it. He bought it. It was a transaction. It was like his life was currency. (laughs) 
currency. I don't know about you, but currency is kind of funny nowadays. We almost have different thoughts of it because we're in so much debt, we don't know what actual currency means sometimes. (laughs) None of us have money. We're all in debt. (laughs) Maybe some of us do. I don't know. But the value of being able to pay for something, I have not done this even though I've not been the best of my finances. I've never bounced a check. I've been late on bills, but not bounced a check. I can't imagine sometimes the embarrassment, right, where you write a check and you pay and it comes back. Why? You didn't have enough funds. You couldn't make the payment. You weren't worth what was being asked to pay. <laughs> you, didn't have, you didn't have the currency. I want us to think about the fact that he has purchased by his blood an entire church. In fact, that payment was enough to make every single person on earth able to go to heaven. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he wrote a check, basically, with his life, saying, I am now buying all the souls of every single person that's been on this earth who have been separated from God because of their sins. I'm going to buy them all back. And the fact that he rose from the dead means the check cleared. That's what it means. It means that God actually said, yes, your life is actually worth enough to buy everyone back. That's the value of the resurrection. He wasn't just a good guy. He wasn't just some kind of prophet who did some cool things. There was actually people God used in the past for that. He was the one that his own life was actually able to purchase all of humanity. All of it. He purchased the church with his blood. How valuable is that? And to who? To us? We had nothing. (laughs) We're just poor people. But to God the Father, the one who owns everything, creates everything, and rules everything, he said, I'll take that payment. I'll take that payment. There is so much value in the fact that he raised from the dead because it proves his worth. It proves his worth to humanity. His blood was able to purchase us. If he stayed in the grave, You can't bank on that check clearing. You don't know if the check's going to bounce or not. There's something else of the value. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 33. We'll start in verse 32. This Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and hear. Therefore being exalted to the right hand of God. The value of Jesus Christ in God the Father's eyes is when He was raised from the dead, He gave Him the seat right at His right hand. He said, I will now put everything under your feet. I'll give you all authority over everything. There's no one more important than you, Lord Jesus. That's what God said to his son. I'm going to exalt you to the point of my right hand. There is no one higher than you. You cannot get, you cannot get a higher calling than God to do that. Again, it shows how valuable this resurrection is. How valuable. The interesting thing about being seated at the right hand of God is that some of us remember in Ephesians where it says he has seated us with him. What does that even mean? 
that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, rose from the dead, God valued it, he was the first one to do it, exalted him to the right hand, and has now said, you know what, why don't you come up sit up here with me? Why don't you sit right here with me, right next to my father? Come with me, sit down. That's an absolute amazement. How valuable, how valuable must this resurrection be that we can actually sit there with him in an exalted place? You really think we have a part in this? Absolutely not. This is all God the Father saying, listen, you want some people to sit here with you? Bring them along. I'll, I'll let you do that. I value you so much. Are these the ones you bought with your blood? Let them sit down here with us. Come sit. Let me explain this. This idea of sitting there with him does not mean at all that we live that out. We are those who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as those who have been redeemed by his blood, seated at the right hand of the Father. We are seated with him in the heavenly places, and yet we don't live that out. We don't live that out. Okay. We don't live it out. Does that change our position? No. <laughs> Listen, sometimes we blame the wrong people. The old teacher-student, we talk about it all the time in our profession. You can be the perfect teacher. It does not mean the student's going to do it right. You can teach it perfectly. You can be kind to the kid. You can give them prompts, helps. There's always a point where that student chooses to do the work or not. And there will be a hundred different views of why that student didn't do the work. If it's the teacher's fault, their fault, all that stuff. The point is it has nothing to do with the teacher sometimes. It has to do with the student. Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father because of the resurrection, and we're there with him. And regardless of how we live down here, should not at all change our view of why we're there. Should not at all change the view that Jesus Christ is absolutely valuable to the Father. There's so many people that still say, well, listen, when I look at the church, I don't see people that necessarily live it out. You know what? You're absolutely right. That doesn't change the fact that Jesus Christ sat there first. It doesn't change the fact that he brought us up there with him by his blood. You have to deal with the Messiah, the one that rose from the dead. Don't deal with the church. Deal with the one that rose from the dead. Because God has placed a high value on him. And just because you got invited along <laughs> through faith doesn't mean necessarily that God's uh, value of his son has changed at all. People have to recognize that. So then it goes into the valor of the resurrection. How do we get courage? If we've been seated in this place and be bought with his blood, and God is just completely elated with his son, where do we get the courage to even talk to God? Where do we even get the courage to say, yes, I'm a Christian? Where do we even get the courage to say, yes, I'm going to go to heaven one day, and I can say it boldly? All this is through the resurrection. Turn to Mark chapter 5, please. This might be a familiar story to us. The story of a man. A ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, is a 12-year-old daughter, and she's dying. Well, I can't imagine trying to get a hold of Jesus. You know, the guy's going through crazy turmoil. His only daughter, who's 12 years old, has lived with him for 12 years, is dying. 
And, he, and he's got kind of like a, a little hope. There's a man, Jesus, who's been healing people. Let me go find Jesus. When he does, there's crowds everywhere. Have you ever tried to get to someone when they're in a crowd? People do this all the time, trying to like get to a sports athlete, try to get an autograph. You've got to try to be a little rude, pushing people, just want to get to the person. I've done this with speakers. Speakers do like an amazing you know, sermon from the Lord. You try to go talk to them. There's three people in front of you, and you're trying to like butt in so you can go talk to them instead. And you finally get the chance to talk to the speaker, and what happens? Someone just rudely just cuts you off. I mean, just, hey, I heard this. And you're like, whoa, whoa, I waited in line here. It's my turn to talk to this guy. Nope, this person is going to keep talking, keep talking. I feel like that's what happened with the woman. This guy has Jesus' attention, says, listen, my daughter's dying. Let's go to your house. Suddenly there's commotion. Suddenly Jesus has to deal with the fact that he healed the woman. He stops everyone and says, hey, who just touched me? The disciples are going, are you kidding me? Look at the crowd. What, you think... Someone's going to admit this, and now the woman comes forth, and I, I can imagine being jerks, being like, I'm glad you got healed. Hello? My daughter's getting, that's, I, it's my turn. It's my turn. <laughs> Thank you. Glad you got healed. Get out of the way. And as soon as he's doing all of this, someone comes up and says, hey, man, it's too late. Your daughter's dead. Don't bother to teach her anymore. In verse 36, this is Jesus' response. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. It's interesting that he uses the word afraid. It doesn't say the man was afraid. And so you think about it, what's he really afraid of? And it's kind of hard. What's he really afraid of? Isn't he just depressed, sad? Why would Jesus say, don't be afraid? You guys know, it seems like I quote the verse a lot, through fear of death have been made subject to bondage their whole lives. We're all afraid to die sometimes. We're all afraid to be separated. We shouldn't be as Christians, but we are. And I was thinking again in the book of James, speaking of this separation of what death does, how it freaks people out. It freaks people out to be separated from loved ones. And for good reason. Go in the book of James when it says, listen, True religion is this, take care of widows and orphans. I really thought about that this Easter. What, how in the world would that relate to Easter? A widow. Someone who had a relationship with someone for probably a long time. And then that person dies. And suddenly they're all alone. And that separation can just take the life out of someone. Some of our widows who were married for 40, 50 years, and then suddenly the person, they, they went to bed with every night, they woke up with every morning, they did life with, for 40 to 50 years, is gone. And there's a separation and there's a void that their life was part of who that person was. And what about an orphan? We all know we're supposed to have loving parents. We're supposed to provide love. Supposed to provide an opportunity to grow in a healthy environment. Supposed to provide for you. And when a child does not have that, the world can look very scary. Where do I go for my love and support? Where do I go? So if I need to be taken care of as a child, where do I go? When I'm old and gray and my spouse isn't here anymore, where do I go? And this man, who's going to help me on earth? My 12-year-old, my only kid is dying. Where do I go? 
for actual support. The separation bothers people. It's voids that can't be filled except by one person, the one who's conquered death. That's how it relates to the gospel. When Jesus Christ conquered the grave, he said, listen, I can bridge the gap. That's why it's so important if you call yourself a Christian to help widows, to help orphans, to help people with pain who are separated from loved ones. Because that's why I came. I was separated from those I loved through sin. And I did everything I could to bridge the gap. That's why it's important. That's why we have to stand in the gap and help people. And we only get to claim those things because he rose from the dead. If he's still in the grave, no one can help anyone with death. They're gone. That's it. There's no courage. There's no nothing. Reality hits. They're done. They're gone. Except if you know someone who actually has the keys to life and death. If you know someone who said, I know a way where even when someone dies, they can be brought back to life. I'm the one that holds the keys. Believe in me. I'm the resurrection and the life. It gives us great courage. It gives us great courage in the middle of absolute pain and torment. That when we are separated from loved ones, we are not saying this is forever. It's just for a little bit. And one day I'm reunited. But only if you trust in the resurrection. If you don't believe the resurrection, then you really have a lot to deal with today. And I don't mean that to try to sound nice on a pulpit. I mean reality. If you do not believe in life after death and how to go to heaven, your loved ones that have, you have lost, you have to deal with that. And you've got to search for answers. I'm telling you, I found the answer for me. It's right here in the book. Jesus Christ conquered death. And because of that, I can see all my lost loved ones. If they've put their faith and trust in him, I can see him again someday. And it eases the pain. And it gives me courage. It gives me the valor of the resurrection. Here's where else I can be courageous. Because I can sit there and sit there and just say, well, you know, but I believe, Lord, but I, I still messed up. And, and what if I'm just not good enough? What, what if something happens and the loved ones that I've lost before, I'm just never going to see? i got to pay penance. <laughs> Romans chapter 4 and verse 25. The thing that gives us courage, the valor of the resurrection, is here in verse 25. Again, as keeping in tradition, I'll start with the verse before. But also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in Him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. You understand the courage we can have because he was raised for our justification. Justification. Very simple. We never did anything wrong. That's how God sees the believer. I don't understand it all. I just take him at his word. God can look at a person here on earth and say, you have done nothing wrong. And that's why he was raised for our justification. There was a story of a guy who was in England and he put his Rolls Royce on a boat and went across the continent to go on a holiday. 
While he was driving around Europe, something happened to the motor of his car. He called the Rolls-Royce people back in England and said, Listen, I'm having trouble with my car. What do I do? The Rolls-Royce people flew a mechanic over to where he was. The mechanic repaired the car and flew back to England and left the man to continue his holiday. As you can imagine, the guy was thinking, How much is this going to cost me? When he got back to England, he wrote the people a letter and asked them how much he owed them. He received a letter from the office that read, Dear Sir, there is no record anywhere in our files that anything ever went wrong with the Rolls Royce. (laughs) Justification. That we would sit there and act like we have, not that we would act like this, that God would look upon us that we have never done anything wrong. You know, not to get all... Well, I probably should stop reading Google News. It gets addicting. It's where I get my news from. I justify it by saying, you know, everyone should read the news. I probably look at Google News too much. Regardless, you might know right now in the Philippines, there's always those who crucify themselves during this time to try to do something and relate. I don't get it all. I don't want to speak on their behalf. But it has something to do with the fact that they want to suffer with the Lord And in some way, get a benefit out of it. I saw pictures of a woman who nailed herself to a cross because she had severe headaches. And she was actually thinking, if I, this Easter year, can just suffer for the Lord and and be like Him and nail myself to a tree, maybe He'll take care of my headaches. He was raised for our justification. Sometimes it's hard to believe. That actually once we are saved, that God looks at us as those who have never sinned. That we don't have to do penance. We don't have to suddenly try to do something for Him. The whole fact of the cross was the fact that He's going to pay it all. And that the debt has been paid and proven through the resurrection. It should give us great courage to know That when God the Father looks at us, we have never sinned. It's amazing. It's because of that that I get boldness in going, I can go to heaven. I know I'm absolutely going to heaven. Good works, not even close. Tithe enough money, not even close. Help the old lady across the street, no. But I know that I am completely justified because he rose from the dead. And in raising from the dead, He has absolutely made me justified. I can say with boldness, I'm going because it's not my ticket. He paid for it. Our future resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about a future resurrection. A lot of times, we obviously want to focus on the Lord Jesus' resurrection, but all of us who have put our faith and trust in Him, our bodies will raise too one day. How do I know we won't get left behind? (laughs) How do I know God just goes, "Mm, not you guys. I have enough in heaven. How do we know? How can we be solid in this? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the confirmation of my physical resurrection when the Lord returns in glory to establish his eternal kingdom and to be with the saints forevermore. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 is talking about. That's where it talks about it says your faith is absolutely futile. If he didn't raise from the dead, we're still in our sins. There's no hope. There's no nothing. But because He rose from the dead, one day we're going to be resurrected. Resurrected. I mean, sometimes I don't think, sometimes that seems like church language to me. Sometimes I don't really don't believe it. 
I'm going to tell you, sometimes I sit there and go, God, you really look at me as justified? Or is that just some church language? Is there really a time where this physical body will be raised from the dead and mate up with you? And then I reign with you? Is that real, Lord? Yes. That's reality. And I, sometimes I just say, Lord, increase my faith. I, I read it. I understand. I, is that really going to happen? That's going to happen to us. That's going to happen to the church. That's amazing. That should give us courage to do life. That should give us courage to do life. The venerated Messiah. To venerate means simply to worship and exalt. Because of the resurrection, because of the resurrection, He deserves our lives. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. The very fact that he rose again demands our complete loyalty to him. The very fact that he has paid our debt demands our loyalty to Him. The fact that He conquered life and death demands our loyalty to Him. That we should no longer live for ourselves, but that we should live for Him. And isn't that equity? Isn't that just? You, know, you read of the old verses, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If someone has poured out their life for you, and in return saved you from death, what do you owe? A life. A life for a life. And so that's what is the demand. But here's the crazy part. We don't have to give of our lives to get to heaven. He just asks for it. That's the amazing thing of the gospel. He doesn't say, give me your life, and when I feel your life's good enough, I'll let you in. He said, listen, debt's paid. You're on your way to heaven. I'm simply, as God, going to ask for your life. You don't have to give it to me. But I'm asking for it. And I'm actually asking for it for your benefit. Because if you do things my way, if you let me lead your life, you can't have a better life than the one I want to give you. And it sounds so simple, and yet our lifestyle choices completely go against it. I'm tired. I'm tired of hearing people trying to appease God by doing something. It, it, it just, it, it doesn't make sense. He wants your life. That's it. Life. He wants every part of your life going through Him. To live for Him. You've died to your old self. That's what the resurrection does. Because He died. He says, now listen, you died to self. Live for me. Live for me. I want to end with that story in Mark. In Mark chapter 5 and verse 43. If you don't know the story, it's a happy ending. The girl comes back to life. (laughs) Jesus heals her. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, 
and said that something should be given to her to eat. I really love what Jeff said today about the immediately. There's another immediately here. After he says to her, I say to you, arise in verse 41, verse 42, says immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. They were overcome with great amazement. What an amazing time. You see someone who was dead brought back to life. Jesus says, don't tell anyone and give her something to eat. Now, right off the bat, you might not think that's interesting. I think it's pretty interesting. The girl was dead. He brought her back to life. Why does she need food? Couldn't Jesus just filled her stomach up while he was healing her? That's kind of interesting to me. <laughs> I mean, it just kind of seems like you're at this level of like, whoo, I just brought you back from dead. Now make sure she eats? Really? I get that. That wasn't the hard part, giving her something to eat. The rising from the dead was the hard part. Okay? It's a story, though. When Christ gives life to someone, what happens? When someone gets saved and they're brought from death into life, what happens next? You've got to give them something to eat. How do we live for them? You've got to eat. The thing that was interesting about this is someone had to prepare the food. Someone had to prepare the food. It doesn't look like she did it. Right? So give her something to eat. Someone prepared food. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The next one says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand for you. You know, God's already prepared for you good works to live for him. He's already laid it out, but it comes after the salvation. It doesn't come before. You get saved and then He has already prepared how you should live for Him. Already prepared what you should feast on. Already said, these are the good works I want you to do. Now you just got to go do them. Someone prepared. He's prepared it for you. Can you trust Him with those works? Sure, He rose from the dead. The next thing is, what do you eat? It's not the simple thing we, we said a hundred times. When Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He says, I'm the living water. Take from me. This Easter Sunday, the fact that we've been justified, the fact that we can have courage, the fact that He's so valuable to God the Father, the fact that we should uh, see our venerated Messiah, one who is just worthy of worship and exaltation, demands our lives to be given to Him. Demands our lifestyles to live for Him. So what do we do? We have to eat his food. We have to just completely emerge ourselves in the diet of the king. Do you know what the worst part about, again, these silly food things, the diet, is all you're ever trying to do is say, I don't want to eat what I actually want to eat. No one sits there and diets and goes, oh man, I'm eating way too much healthy food. I really need to change and eat some junk food. No, you always diet because what you're eating is not good for you. And the whole horrible part of a diet is, I'm not going to give in to the compulsions I have and my real feelings of just wanting to tear up a couple cheeseburgers because I want to eat something better for my body. And that's just basically Christianity 101. We have absolute natural tendencies to do everything outside of what God wants us to do. And he is asking us, please, just feed on the stuff I want. So I just ask you again today, what are we feeding on? So I'm going to tell you, in today's world of technology, there's a lot we can feed on that's not healthy at all. How much time are we spending 
just watching YouTube videos? How much time are we on social media? How much time are we just hearing everything from a worldly perspective? Everything. That's your diet. And I'm guilty too. And so we wonder sometimes why it's hard. Sometimes I wonder, God, have you really justified me? Why am I doubting that? Because I have the world screaming in my ears saying, no way. Everywhere I turn, there's no way God can accept you. No way. Who am I listening to? Listening to the world. That's why we have to feed on the book. We have to feed on fellowship. We have to live for Him. Change what we eat. Change what we eat. I'm excited. I'm excited that He rose from the dead. (laughs) I'm excited for my justification. I don't know about you. (laughs) I'm excited that God's going to accept me and I get to go to heaven. And today I just want to encourage us to value Him. Value His life poured out. The very fact that He rose from the dead means the check cleared. There's not going to be any corporate prayer today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you rose from the dead. You are worthy of our lifestyles. We should live for you because you have risen from the dead. Help us to do so. Help us so much to uh, just really live by faith and see your life as reality and the world as a lie. It's so hard sometimes. It shouldn't be, but it is. Thank you so much that you care about us. Thank you so much that you're coming again. We pray again for the people in this room. If there's someone here that is not saved, Lord, that they have never put their faith and trust in you, that they're still religious, they're still thinking that religion will save them, that you would burn in their their hearts, that you would just take away that thought process. They would see that you are the one that cancels out religion. Thank you so much for this place. Again, Lord, help us to change. In your name, amen.